I want to reach 50% more listeners in the next three months, and I need your help. Will you share and subscribe? If I reach my goal, let's invent a cocktail to celebrate. How about an adventure Rita in Artslandia? Or do you have a better idea? Hi, everybody. I'm Susanna Mars, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. Today, I am so fortunate to be talking to Melissa Crespo. She's a New York-based director of theater and will be directing Karen Zacharias's Native Gardens at Portland Center Stage, a co-production with Jiva Theater and Syracuse Stage, running May 18th through June 16th. Hey, Melissa, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I I wanted to mention also you're a producer, a dramaturg, and a playwright. It's quite a wonderful bag of arts expertise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's, uh, the typical gypsy artist wearing millions of hats, but it's really fun. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's funny because that's my story, too. I'm an actor, singer, very similar. (laughs) You kind of do what you do. You're a creative artist. Yeah, make your own life and then see where it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Uh, I wanted to uh, read a little tiny description of the play. It's been described as a hilarious hot-button comedy, cultures and gardens clash, turning well-intentioned neighbors into feuding enemies. And I wondered, after reading a little bit about the play, did you have to bone up on your gardening chops to work on this piece? I did. Uh, um, So in one of the scenes, the character that is super passionate about native gardening, her Mm -hmm. name is Tanya, and uh, she gives her neighbor, uh, who isn't a native gardener, um, a bunch of books. And I did buy one of them and read much of it. And learned a lot about the art and culture and philosophy of native gardening. And now I can't really see plants the same. (laughs) I imagine, um, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, I had never really thought about it. I had never thought about the choice of plants being detrimental at all to our environment, Mm -hmm. whether they're, you know, they come from here or not. And it's a whole new world. And it makes a lot of sense because native gardening respects the indigenous plants that were there in the first place and the ecosystem where they are, uh, you know, thrive off of them better than ones that come in here from somewhere else. And, you know, bees don't, don't go to them, birds move away and then it just becomes this ecological disaster. So super fascinating stuff. And I can totally understand why it's a big movement. Right. And needless to say, it's a perfect metaphor for what's happening in our country and in our world right now. Do you think the play makes that leap? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, and I think that's why the play is so successful because it's so brilliant Mm -hmm. in the comedy and the arguments between the two couples are basically masked in plants until they're not anymore, until they start getting real with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, the audiences really react big time to mm. uh, all the humor because it's it's really everyone knows what they're really talking about. You know, they're talking about immigration, they're talking about class, they're talking about privilege, they're talking about um, you know all of the things that are in the media right now that you know we're being faced with. One of the characters in the play is pregnant, also, which I think would really up the stakes on the conversation. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, she's she's eight months pregnant and ready to pop at any moment. And 
you know, trying to make a family and make a, ho- a new home and everyone can relate to that. Mm-hmm. So it, it re- and the, the timeline of the play is pretty quick. It, it happens within five days. Mm-hmm. So it, the, t- the clock is literally ticking. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about belonging lately and what that means. And, and certainly when you're starting a family, you want to belong to a community. Then you have your cultural belonging, your familial. It's, it's huge. Absolutely. I, uh, I grew up in suburbia. I'm originally from Stanford, Connecticut. And then um, when I was in high school, we moved to Northern Virginia. And uh, it was quite a um, financial leap upward, you know, because my mom got this really great job um, with a subsidiary, the Washington Post. And we lived in the suburbs of D.C. very much like um, Tanya and Pablo in the play, although they're, they're in DC proper. And, um, but I know that area really well. And we were one of the few families of color that moved to our neighborhood. And it was, we were a little on edge at first because we didn't really know what to expect, but you know, like you do in suburbia, at least, at least where we were living you know, our neighbors came over and brought us food and said hi and got to know us. And, you know, I live in, I live in Brooklyn now. I've lived in New York City for the past 13 years and I've lived in apartments where I don't know any of my neighbors. So it's such a different world depending on where you live in. But the, the neat thing is that everyone has a neighbor, no matter if you know them or not. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we all have to negotiate on a daily basis. And Karen really gets to the heart of, what that is because it's a primal thing. Like even if you don't know your neighbors, they all do stuff that annoys us, <laughs> whether it's like music playing or kids yelling or like running on your head, and, you know, in the apartment above you or, um, yeah, it, it, uh, it is a thing we can all relate to. And she really gets to the heart of that struggle. That's actually a book I found in my research for directing native gardens called um, good neighbors. Mm -hmm. And it talks about the democracy of everyday living uh, and how our neighbors are, how we see ourselves in our world. And I think that there's a lot to that. Oh, I agree. uh, Yeah. Yeah. We want to belong and we want to fit in and we want to get along with everybody. There's a, there's a line that um, in the play, uh, where Pablo says to his wife, um, they'll, they'll be fine. They're good and decent people, right? <laughs> and I think we've all asked that of ourselves and our neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of civility, that, that that's a big hot word right now. Mm-hmm. And um, what that means. Yeah, so. they used to talk so much about the word tolerance, which I never really liked because to my mind, tolerance always intimated a sense of beneath the surface, a dislike or a, a lack yeah. of, of, of interest or something. And and now I'm realizing or thinking about the very things you're talking about. How do we belong? How are we authentic? How do we live beside each other with love, with joy? What's that word? Yeah, yeah. And and even if you don't agree with someone, still finding a way to get along with them and also love them. And and um, having uh, lived in Virginia for my high school and college years and going down a lot because my, my mom and my sister lived there for, for a long time and still are there, um, 
well, my sister's still there. My mom just moved back up north. Mm. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of Republican friends, at least my mom does. Mm. And my mom and I talk a lot about it of, you know, she's still friends with all of her Republican friends. She's, she tells me, it's like, I'm not going to not be their friends anymore just because they voted for Trump. And, and, uh, and, and I think, I think there's, there's a lot of patience and listening and that, that I, I learned from her. <laughs> mm, that's awesome. <laughs> it's really hard. Yes. It's interesting too, because in this time, it seems very important that we sit and listen to each other, but as our culture evolves, we're in situations where we're not in face-to-face contact. And face-to-face contact, to my mind, really means a lot. And it kind of leads me toward, where do you think theater is headed? Do you do you think we can continue to excite people about paying money to go into a room and watch stuff together? Oh, yeah. I think, oh, oh God, it has to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to. Because uh, if we don't, we're in big trouble. Uh, I think. I think theater is one of the very few places left in the world where you actually sit with real people and listen to a story because we're, we're so spoiled now with a plethora of platforms and shows. TV is at its best right now. Mm-hmm. Film is wonderful. and um, But I think the, the reason why we are so drawn to entertainment is because, you know, stories teach us about ourselves and things we don't know. And, um, I think there's something unique about sharing the air with other people, Mm -hmm. uh, versus a screen. And, um, there, and you know, there, and there's things that theater can do that film can't and vice versa. You know, there's, um, there's a, a gap of imagination, you know, like, you you can't be literal with everything in theater because there's you know we just can't mm-hmm. and and so there's something really powerful about using our imaginations and and that adds that layer adds to that magic and I think um, I think people are hungry for more stories where they see themselves on stage mm. and and I think the field is really expanding and changing for the better. I think plays like Native Gardens where you have this smart Latinx couple who, you know, once the husband's a lawyer, the, the wife is a PhD candidate and they just bought a home and are starting their family. I mean, that, that is as American and basic as you can get. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, you know, a struggle for, you know, citizenship. It's not, you know, it's, it's just, it's what every, what everyone can relate to. And, and we want to see more of that. I am actually directing a new play at a university right now. And, um, with, with a majority Latin, uh, cast. And one of my students last night asked me, do you know of any plays that feature, um, Latinx people just being people? Mm. <laughs> and I said, yeah, actually Native Gardens, I'll send it to you. Mm. So, uh, because you know, I think I think um, I think people are getting tired of you know only seeing one type of cliche, right, especially uh, because, when they're kind of issue based pieces. I can understand yeah, your students' yeah. question; they want to see themselves as they are in the world, which is you know all just normal human activity. 
Yeah, and it was really refreshing to have an answer mm. <laughs> of, of, of a play that is, I believe it's the fourth most produced play in the U.S. right now. Mm. Um, fifth, fourth, fourth or fifth. I, I'm not, I can't quite remember, but it's pretty high. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's really, really uh, hope. It, it gives me hope. Mm. Uh, well, it's ex- especially exciting to be speaking to a female director you know, in that very same vein. Uh, do you think... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you think there are, are inherent qualities that women possess that make them especially terrific directors? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I haven't really thought about that. But if I... Now that I am, <laughs> I can only speak for myself, really. But um, I... Personally, and I, I've, I've had the I've had the great privilege of assisting assistant directing brilliant female directors, and I think there's um, a special knack of of listening that we do. Mm. Um, and on the converse side, uh, because there have been so few of us, there's a there's an added pressure of female directors to behave better mm, <laughs> um, because we can't get away with as much. And, but, I, but as a result, you know, I, I, I find um, there's a greater amount of happiness and joy in the room. Mm. Um, not that, you know, we should be able to behave badly because no director should behave badly, but mm-hmm. um, uh, I think, you know, we work harder and we, I, I, I do, I will say, I, I do think women are better listeners and, and therefore um, are better collaborators. Uh, so, um, and I, I can say that because uh, On Native Gardens was an all-female team, a mm, creative team. That's really was, exciting and unique. Yeah, it was awesome. Wow. <laughs> I love my team. Oh, fascinating. We had such a great time. Hmm. Yeah, we actually really just enjoyed each other's presence and company and ideas. And um, it was a really, really fun, fulfilling experience. And I hope I get to keep doing that. Who are the women directors that you were so fortunate to assist? I uh, was the only who's directing fellow at Arena Stage Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., and Molly Smith was the artistic director at the time, which she still is, and um, Wendy Goldberg, who now runs the O'Neill Theater, hired me, uh, and then, um, who's amazing, uh, but then she left to run the O'Neill a few months after I showed up, so then Molly was my mentor, and um, that year uh, was Zelda Fitchhandler's uh, last time directing at arena and I, and she founded arena and I got to assist her. Mm. That's also the year I met Sarah rule. Who's been a, an amazing mentor to me. Um, and I, through her, I met Paula Vogel and, uh, and then, uh, one of my, ama- one of my great friends. And also I look up to her so much is Lear de Bessonet. She's the artistic director of public works at the public theater. And she's just a brilliant, wonderful director who brings nothing but joy to mm-hmm. a room. And um, she's a visionary as well. That program is amazing. It's exciting. Uh, Phil Lloyd. Oh, um, oh, Phil Little Lloyd. Yeah. No, right. mm-hmm. Phil Little Lloyd. I had the honor of assisting her at the public a couple of years ago and learned a huge 
which is, she's just amazing. So mm-hmm. I, I've been pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I'm very grateful for all the amazing people that have let me tag along. <laughs> I just think it's great for, the for these names to be said aloud so that young people who are listening can look them up and start getting inspired and see how many people there are. It's just the names aren't often spoken. Yeah, I and and there are so many women working now um, that I have amazing colleagues. And I um, was a fellow at the Women's Project, which is now known as WP Theater. And Lisa McNulty runs that theater. And that is one of the greatest places to work as a woman. And, and they also take uh they take trans artists as well, and um, they're so supportive. And I, I'm, the fellowship ended, and they still give me work and give me mm. space to create and do theater. And it's just a really, really amazing network because you're part of a whole, you know, legacy of women mm. who have worked there. That must so, be thrilling. Uh, yeah, it's great. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm really, really loving the time and moment that I get to be in in American theater. Mm. I'm pretty happy about it. <laughs> what rocks your world when you enter the rehearsal hall? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, what rocks my world immediately is my actors. Mm. Um, you know, casting is, I believe, 90% of the director's job. If you cast it right, you are in conversation Mm-hmm. Instead of me having to, you know, I guess direct, I, I, I consider myself a guide. I don't by no means try to, you know, move you around like a chess piece. I, I'm interested in a collaboration. And if you cast it right, then those actors bring their brilliant minds and selves to the table and we get to create magic together. So that, that is the thing I love about my job. Mm. So, How do you get your heart and mind into the proper space for making great work? Do you have a ritual of some sort or a process that you do personally or, or even in the rehearsal room? You know, every project is different. And I have the great fortune of working on a lot of different forms. I do opera, I do musicals, I do plays. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've done a little bit of film here and there. And it, it's whatever speaks to the project, but I can say that this, the, the constant practice that I personally have is finding, locating myself in the piece. Mm. Uh, Cause I have to have some personal connection in the work um, in order to really um, connect to it. Mm-hmm. And so that, that is my starting place with hmm. everything I do. Oh, that's lovely. So when you meet an actor in an audition, what's the first thing that usually strikes you? Oh, confidence. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's why I don't act anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was an actor. I hated auditioning. But actors who enter a room and change the oxygen because you can just tell that they love what they do. Mm. Uh, And even if the choices they make aren't necessarily right for the play, Mm-hmm. that they're auditioning for, you can just tell they're in their element. And that's the kind of artist I want to be in the room with. Mm, that's um, yeah, yeah. Actors are amazing creatures and <laughs> I, I am in service to them. So that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's why auditions are really fun. <laughs> mm. If you had an opportunity to have dinner with anybody, dead or alive, maybe your top three? Ooh. 
no one's ever asked you that. Well, my my first instinct is Michelle Obama. Oh, that's... She's perfect. <laughs> I've, just been, I've just been listening to her book. And she, in fact, I was thinking oh. about that when we were talking about belonging. She talks a lot about that. Oh, really? Yeah. I think, it, yeah, it would be Michelle and then Frida Kahlo. Mm. And probably Joan of Arc. Mm. That'd be a nice group. Yeah. That'd be a really fun table. Yeah, it would maybe, be. Maybe someone can write a play about that. <laughs> that sounds good. And what does bravery look like to you? Bravery to me is not making the easy choice. Um, because doing the right thing is so is sometimes the hardest choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that, that is, that is bravery to me. Yeah, I agree. I was thinking about that. I thought this is a hard question. What is bravery? And it, it kind of speaks to what we were talking about with the play. It's just kind of stepping up into every day with your personal truth and being able and willing to reveal it. Yeah. Um, the, the play really um when when you when you see people fighting over eighty square feet of land <laughs> because that's really it's a border dispute is what the play essentially is mm-hmm. and um, those seemingly mundane arguments um that take place in our own home uh are usually the most personal, mm-hmm. you know, they don't seem like it on the surface, but they, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you could be dealing with the biggest problems, but you know, I'm going to get, you know, the, if, if the paper boy, you know, throws my newspaper <laughs> in the neighbor's lawn one more time, I'm calling the cops, you know, it's like people, people choose their, they say, choose your battles. And sometimes the battles at home are the, are, are the most immediate and, and um, personal ones. And so it's sort of easy. It, it is easy to see in the play how quickly it spirals and why it spirals because mm-hmm. these things happen every day. Mm-hmm. Um, as, I've, as I've been directing the play in different cities around the country, it's been really fun and also just insane to listen to audience members talk about their own neighbors. And, and mm. the, so they'll, they'll intermission will come up or, or the end of the play will go up and they'll be like, well, my neighbor did this or my <laughs> friend's neighbor did that. And mm. it just, it, people, pe- people get so connected to it. Mm-hmm. And then, but at the end of the day, you realize, Oh, there's actually a lot of bigger problems in the world that I should be focusing on. Well, it's so funny. It seems um, like some of those problems, you know, they seem small, but as you blow them out into human beings just trying to resolve conflict, they really embrace all conflict. Yeah, because I really strongly believe that we project a lot of our own stuff onto other people mm-hmm. and um and it's easier to fight over the flowers that someone planted than deal with your own issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and that is a lot of what is happening in Native Gardens. It's, mm-hmm. it's really fascinating. And it's also, it, it's been so interesting to 
see different audiences react to either side. Mm. Um, you learn about a community very quickly based on who they are rooting for. Because the ideal scenario is that it's a it's a very um, it's a very balanced argument where both people have good points, and it's hard to figure out you know who's right and who's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes you know some audiences do not like one couple and the other night they like the other one. So it's, it's a very interesting thing. And I also feel like it depends on what's going on in the news at the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to so close to home. Right. That no must be really, um, <laughs> really interesting for the actors to experience yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. They've been telling me some funny stories. Mm. Uh, actually, uh, one, one, uh, one night in Rochester, there's an acorn fight. And one of the acorns landed in the audience and a woman got out of her seat and threw the acorn at one of the actors. Oh, for heaven's <laughs> sake. I bet, you know, the, the, the stage manager later joked that, you know, these are subscribers. They come to this theater all year round and, you know, they feel like they're in their living room. So they <laughs> wanted to participate, which I feel like is a really really interesting and fun instinct. I agree very much because theater really came from a much more interactive kind of uh, place in the past. And we've, uh, I don't know, put a coat and tie on it. In a, and in a way, I hope that that starts to be removed more and more. I think that might be a way in which we can really re-enthuse people to be in the space. I couldn't agree more. I uh, particularly about this play, love that not only do we get laughter, but we get oohs and ahs and groans to some of the lines. Mm-hmm. People viscerally react to it. It's been really cool to see because I'm one of the I'm I'm a loud lot of audience member because mm-hmm. I know the actors want that. Right. They don't. They don't want. It's not a television. You know, you can. You can react, and you should. We become we, we want to know what you feel. Yeah, we become so mannered. I think people are kind of afraid. It's almost as if we need a sign at the door that says, you know, there are some manners. Yeah, you want to hang on to good. It's it's hard to to create that line. You know, common sense, kindness, courtesy, coupled with revealing your true self, like being yourself in the space and enjoying and all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope more people come to the theater and know that they can be themselves. Yeah, me too. I do too. I'm curious, what are your artistic passions outside of work? I mean, you do so many cool things when you have like a date night and you want to go out and have some fun. <laughs> what do you pick? Oh gosh. Uh I I my social life is my work at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um but on the rare occasion I do get to go out. Um I love going to live performances that are that are not plays or mm. you know musicals. Mm-hmm. I I a, a good concert, um, even a sporting event, which I never get to do, but it's very theatrical to me. Oh, it is. I just um, saw some NC two A basketball, women's basketball here in Portland, and it was yeah, fantastic. It just felt like Clash of the Titans with these fabulous female athletes. Yeah, it's almost like a. I get to go to a live event that I haven't directed. So I don't, you know, I can just enjoy myself because, you know, as a director, it's it's sometimes hard to go to other theater because I, you know, sit there as like I'm working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, um, but uh, also, and, and um, just going for a walk, just mm. really honestly being outside. I've been trying to do that more often because 
I'm in a dark theater most of the time, so I don't get to see the sunlight <laughs> and uh, um, really just trying to enjoy nature. And I've never been to Oregon and I hear it's just gorgeous. So well, you, I'm really excited to get outside. You there. hit the jackpot with the outside stuff, especially since you'll be here in the beautiful springtime. And uh, everybody can come and see uh, Native Gardens at Portland Center Stage May 18th through the s- June 16th. And thanks, Melissa, for talking to me today. It's been a real delight. Oh, thank you. That was really fun. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I hope everyone makes it to the show. Yeah, me too. I hope uh, we'll get a chance to cross paths while you're here and have fantastic time where you are and have a great trip out to Portland. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was Melissa Crespo. She's directing Native Gardens at Portland Center Stage, and you can go to pcs.org for more information. Why do we sound so good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio, and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike.